The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, we're so, so happy to be together today uh, in this building or whether you're at home, we're glad you've joined us. Uh, today we're talking about joy and not only joy, but joy and happiness. I don't think they had enough letters to do happiness too back here, but uh, we're gonna be talking about both things together. And uh, when I thought about joy, uh, there's a video, a little clip that popped in my head that I had to show you, and I know behind your mask, you're just gonna be smiling and laughing possibly, so let's check this out. Cloud contains banners from heaven. You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shedding your eyes. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's confident? How many of you have people like that in your life right now? Or maybe you are that person. Because there's a lot of times your family members probably just want to slap you. But uh, that's not the kind of joy we're talking about this morning, although uh, that is an amazing movie. I saw someone online this week that said they hated Elf, like the movie. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Uh, I can't be friends with you anymore. But uh, anyway... We're talking about true and lasting joy, and the reason why I wanted to make sure that we included happiness is uh, there's, especially lately in Christian circles, um, we've had this situation happen where, for some reason, joy has been elevated to this, like, spiritual status, and happiness has been diminished as, like, the uh, black sheep of the family, like, you're not allowed to be happy as a Christian, and so it's kind of an interesting thing that's happened where we, we often need to find things that oppose each other other, when in reality, if you look at scripture, joy and happiness are often used synonymously. And so, and when we come to Christianity, especially lately, we've heard statements like, maybe you've heard this, God isn't concerned about our happiness, only our holiness. And maybe another statement, God calls us to joy, not happiness. And I stand here before you saying uh, those things are theologically and biblically wrong. Because if you look in scripture, you see all sorts of scripture talking about happiness. And the fact that God makes us happy and the ability for us to be happy in God. And we're going to look all over and see about joy and happiness and not see them as one being superficial while the other one is spiritual. If you want to get into a little bit more of a study, you can go to Randy Alcorn's book called Happiness. came out in 2015, and a new one came out uh, by Barnabas Piper called Hoping for Happiness. You see, the error isn't in the words themselves, but rather in where we find joy and happiness. So it's okay to say as a Christian you're happy. It's okay when you have your mask off, maybe you're eating together or something like that, to show, you know, if you're happy inside, to tell your face that you're happy, right? It's a good thing to be happy and to show it 
to others. And along these lines, I don't know what your Enneagram number is and uh, maybe if you even care about it. I didn't really care when I first found out about the Enneagram, but it does, it's very helpful to understand people and to know them. And when I was handed this aspect of Advent, which is joy, um, I thought in a way being a seven, who a seven is the person that uh, plans all the entertainment, that if we're getting people together, it's gonna be fun and enjoyable, and we're gonna have a good time, and if people aren't having a good time, you're kind of upset about it, and you wanna help them figure out why they're not having a good time, that's what's going on in my head. And so this pandemic has totally wrecked uh, my personality. But when I got this uh, joy topic, I was thinking in my mind, how perfect was it in God's divine uh, sovereignty that he would give me joy? Because also sevens are sometimes full of themselves and think, you know, they're God's gift to whatever's going on. Okay, and so I'm thinking kind of in that way, of course, humbly thinking that I was given this topic because, you know, I'm joyful. Right. But of course, God has a sense of humor and he's also honest with us. And he revealed to me that the person probably that needed this message to prepare for this message the most was me. Because oftentimes, people like myself, we tend to lower the bar when it comes to joy, and we get joy out of the things of the world and the excitement that the world has to offer. But we miss out on the deep recesses of true joy. And we're unable to actually grasp that because in a way we're satisfied with what the world has to offer, whether it's trips or exciting family events or even little things like movies or whatever it is. We're, we're fascinated by those things and oftentimes we don't allow ourselves to go deeper into what God wants to teach us. An immense joy and happiness, which is a gift from God. David Murray, author of The Happy Christian, puts it this way. Even Christians find it hard to escape the tendency to turn from the light and be attracted to the darkness. It's partly because there's often more darkness around than light. That simply demands even greater effort to think and talk about faithful marriages, godly young people, generous philanthropists, and even honest politicians. So for some of you that don't naturally see joy, maybe this is you. It's darkness. It's all dark. There's not really much hope. And for us, there's a push for us to look through the darkness, to peel back that layer and see the true joy and happiness that can come from a relationship with God. So as we prepare to really get into the scripture, I want to do a little exercise with you. And it's a little fill in the blank. Simple fill in the blank. And it says this, I'll be happy slash joyful when blank, and you fill it in. Just go ahead and think about that. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I'll be happy, joyful when. Maybe I, I came up with some of my heads, head, uh, you know, when my kids get out of diapers. Uh, when I get that, I have, I'm sorry, my kids are out of diapers. This isn't me, like maybe you thought. <laughs> my youngest is seven, so... Uh, when I get that raise, when that girl at school stops ignoring me, when I'm done college, when my rebellious teenagers finally leave the house, uh, when my spouse changes personalities. Again, not me, you. Uh, when the Christmas gifts are paid for, uh, when this p pandemic is finally behind us and we can take off the stinking mask, right? So there's lots of things that we think of. 
In lots of ways, this past year has wrecked a lot of those fill-in-the-blank answers you gave, right? And just totally destroyed them in, in one way or another. You see, especially at Christmas time, we tend to focus on circumstances when it comes to happiness and joy. The reality that statistically, circumstances don't have much of an effect on, as we think, on our happy and joyful state. You're like, wait a second. When I get that gift, I'm happy. Well, what about the next day? (laughs) When that fill in the blank happens, you're going to have some sense of joy and happiness but what about when your kids come home because of a pandemic? (laughs) Uh, What about other things that happen that you thought would bring joy and happiness but really doesn't satisfy? I don't necessarily think what's happening to us and has happened to us for the past year is all bad because it's actually driven us, hopefully, to think more about what really makes us happy and what brings us joy. So today we're going to be all over scripture. So hopefully you're ready to flip the pages or scroll on your device or whatever because we're going to have to keep up because we're going to get in all parts of the the scriptures today. So the first part is going to be in Luke 2. And number one, we can see true joy is realized when we recognize and embrace the incarnate king. True joy is realized when we recognize and embrace the incarnate king. Luke 2, verse 8 through 10 In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Great joy. Here's the angel appearing to the shepherds, informing them, Hey, this baby's going to be born. And what is he going to bring? He's going to bring great joy. I love the fact that the angel tells them not to fear. Because often the things that steal our joy are the things that we're afraid of. The things that we see on the surface and take our joy and steal our joy. And instead the angel turns it around and says, no, here's great news, good news, a great joy. It will be for all people. This baby is coming to be born to pay the price for our sin. To jump over to Isaiah back in the Old Testament, Isaiah has great things to say about the Savior, great prophecies about the coming king. In Isaiah 9, uh, verses 1 to 7, it's a great passage of Scripture because we often read verse 6 and 7 in this passage, but we kind of miss the context in 1 through 5. So let's check it all out here in Isaiah 9. It says, there will be no gloom for her, uh, for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Look at verse three. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled into blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. On the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. What a powerful scripture. And oftentimes we just read verse six and seven and we miss the rest of the chapter and the meaning behind it. You see, if you look back in chapter eight and the first part of chapter nine, you actually see that this prophetic voice, Isaiah is saying, there's coming an attack and the Assyrians are coming to attack from the north and they're attacking the Jewish people and they're gonna, the first people that will experience this pain and this anger over this uh, invasion will be these people from the north. And so Isaiah is offering them a glimpse into the future, a glimpse into something that is to come, which in verse three increases their joy and they rejoice even like it was harvest where they're gathering their grain and gathering their crops when this joyful season occurs, even in the face of the enemy and even in the face of pain. And you actually see, if we don't have time for this, but if you jumped ahead to Matthew 4, verses 13 to 16, you actually see the fulfillment of this. Because Jesus' ministry, where did he come first? Where did he have his miracles done first? In their northern area, in Galilee. And so in Isaiah 9, when he's talking about the joy that's coming and the conquering king that's coming to get rid of the enemy, He was giving this message to the people in the north first, and they actually experienced it, Jesus' miracles first in the northern part in Galilee. So it's pretty amazing to make that connection. Verse three, you've multiplied our joy, increased our joy, even a joy at harvest. In verse six and seven, I just want us to take a a second to meditate on those. Look at the words of verse six and seven, to describe the king, to describe what this baby would become, what this baby was, Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. When you meditate on those descriptions of who Jesus is, even the most sour, reserved, restrained Christian can't help but at least have a little joy. And I know behind your mask, some of you are smiling and some of you are excited. But sometimes because you have a mask on, I can't see it. I might need to hear that you're actually joyful. This is amazing. Thank you, number seven. Appreciate it. So we need to actually shout for joy. We have to see that we have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting father. This is just blowing our minds, it should blow our minds, the Prince of Peace. Psalm 32, verse one and two, and 10 and 11 puts it this way. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is a command. We're commanded to shout for joy. We're commanded to be excited. And it's not some phony excitement, some fake smile, something that when you come into the church and you pretend everything's cool with you and your family, it's not that. It's based on the Son of God. It's based on what he's done. It's based on the greatest gift we've ever been given. 
But also, true joy is also made complete by experiencing fellowship with one another through fellowship with the Father and Son. If you turn to 1 John, you can see some of this, 1 John chapter 1. If you read any of John's writings, whether it's in the Gospel of John, you read any of these, you, you see a lot about a close fellowship with God, a close walk with God and with Jesus. And in verse one through four, we see John start this book out in this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Notice this last statement. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So where does this joy come from, this complete joy? It comes from fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit but it also in turn comes with fellowship with one another. When you begin to really get into one another's lives in a small group situation, in a friendship situation, you can't help if you're, if you're Christians to be encouraged and to feel this joy that comes only from a relationship with God and with his son. You see verse four, he says that your joy may be complete. The implication here is that without this fellowship, our joy is incomplete. It's like, uh, I don't know, in my brain, I, picture, I picture all these lines drawn, and I picture lines drawn all over the place of wherever we find our joy from, and imagine lines going out from my body from the things that I find joy in, whether it's a good movie or playing with my children or hanging out with Candace or whatever it is, and all these lines are short, maybe some of them are longer, but they all stop and they all end, and there's an ending to all of these lines. But when we have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with one another based on the Son, that line never ends. That fellowship line just continues and we get to have joy forever. Never stops. It's an amazing thought to consider. Tim Keller puts it this way, joy is delight in God and his salvation for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Its opposite is hopelessness and despair. Its counterfeit is elation that comes with blessings, not the blesser. Mood swings based on circumstances. Have any of you had mood swings based on circumstances lately? I know I'd be the first to raise my hand, yelling at my kids too much, right? There's a lot of things that come into our lives that steal our joy. When uh, this subject was coming up, I texted Bev DeSalvo and I said, I know you wrote the book, Return to Joy. Give me some quotes that I can look through that we can put in here. And she gave me one that really hit me. Uh, it says, God's love is not to be viewed from afar, but to be experienced deeply in an up-close relationship. He desires for all his children to move from merely knowing that he loves them to experiencing it firsthand. He wants you to feel the joy of being loved to receive it personally and powerfully in a way that will change your life forever. It's a fellowship. And not only is it complete, joy made complete through fellowship, but it's also joy is made full by abiding in Christ. If you look over at John chapter 15, John chapter 15, 
great passage on abiding. And we don't have time to read the entire part there, but if you go back this evening, this afternoon, and read verses 1 through 8. But 9 through 11 sums it up well. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How do I have fullness of joy? In the face of difficulty, in the face of pain, in the face of trial, a pandemic, you name it? I look to scripture. And the scripture says, just like Jesus kept the Father's commandments and abided in his love, we have the opportunity to abide in his love and keep his commandments. And what happens is, as we obey, joy comes. As we obey, joy comes. Think about this statement. The creator that had the same love for us has the same love for you, or the same love for his son has the same love for you. That creator who made the universe, made this world, that brought even this skin together and these veins together and and these bones together, these muscles together, all this amazing detail, this creator has the same love for you as he has for his son. If that doesn't make you wanna shout, I don't know what will. The fact that we can be one with Christ, that we can know Christ and abide in him, and that word abide is important for us to realize that it's not just in and out, here we are one day, gone the next, but it's actually remaining. It's fixing. It's being fixed to. And so it's a stable thing, this abiding, not a coming and going thing. One commentator put this way, true joy is based in rejoicing in one's eternal identity in Jesus Christ. Is this not what Paul says in Philippians 4? He doesn't just say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice that things are not rejoice that things are going well for you right now or even though things are maybe going bad. But instead he's saying no. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. You see there's an object for our joy. There's a foundation for our joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Great joy. The ocean that seems to never end. It just keeps on coming in over and over again. This is the joy that we have in God and the joy that is described in Scripture. So we have observed how true joy is realized, made complete, and made full. But let's get practical. 
How can I find this true joy? How can I be part of this true joy? And I found encouragement and instruction from a pastor out of Atlanta named Leonce Crump. Leonce Crump is one of the best speakers I've heard. I love to hear him. He's always inspiring. He makes me want to just, you know, go out there and like run through a brick wall. I mean, he's like one of those coach type people, you know, that just really gets you moving, right? Look him up, listen to him. He's got good stuff to say from the Lord. But he gives some encouragement here on practicality of, of how to find joy. Number one, distinguish between temporary and circumstantial comfort or satisfaction and real lasting joy. Go ahead and sit down maybe later this evening after the kids go to bed or maybe you just uh, get off Netflix or whatever uh, you do or off your phone and just take some time to get away and sit and ask yourself, what is it that I'm trying to find joy in and is it lasting? What is it that I find myself frustrated in? Because it may be something you're trying to find joy in that really doesn't bring true joy. The idea isn't just to stick our head in the sand and pretend that everything's okay. It's not this phony joy. But instead, it's a redirection of our thoughts to the source of the Advent season, hope, peace, joy, and love, the Savior. Number two, put yourself in the path of God's grace. Do things that incline your heart more and more toward Jesus, that remind you of who you are in him. Luke 10, verse 23 and 24 helps us with this. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. It says, uh, or Jesus, this is talking about Jesus. It says, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You put yourself in the path of God's grace. The fact is, kings search for this. Kings have searched for this. Presidents continue to search for this. Dignitaries continue to search for this. Uh, Athletes, actors, you know, popular people in music, all these people, they search for true joy. They look for it in all these things, and yet they're still wanting. They still want more because they can't find it. They can't find true joy. We can only find true joy when we put ourselves in the path of God's grace, when we see that we've been blessed to hear it, to see it, and to experience it. It brings great joy. One of the things that we've tried to do this Christmas season is putting ourselves in the path of God's grace is listening to music. I'm not talking about the Christmas music out there like, you know, I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus or, you know, something about a, uh, I don't know, you know, Santa Claus coming to town, things like that. And if you like that stuff, great. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you my enemy, but to me, it's fluff. It's great to, you know, bring a little bit of sense of happiness and cheer and don't say, you know, I'm the Grinch, but... We really need to focus a little bit more and go a little bit deeper. And there's amazing songs out there that tune our hearts into the Christmas story. And for some of you, that's a good thing. Some of you aren't inspired by Christmas things as far as music goes, but maybe reading. We've been trying to read as a family. It doesn't happen every night, but we try our best to to get after it where we get into a book and we read about Advent and we read about the hope that's found in Christ, the peace that's found in Christ, the joy, the love. And so maybe that's something that we can do to put ourselves in the path of God's grace. And then number three, engage yourself in Jesus' mission in the world. Sharing the good news we've tasted will increase our enjoyment of the Savior. 
You have the opportunity to speak up, to be able to speak out. And instead of speaking up, always giving your opinion online about whatever it is that you want to rant about, how about instead just saying how joyful you are in the Lord? How thankful you are that the son came as a baby, lived a sinless life, and paid the price for your sin. How about we be known for that? And speaking of our Savior and even getting into acting out uh, measures of grace and service, there's a great story I read this week. In the year 252, there was an outbreak of plague ravaged Alexandria. Dionysius, along with priests and deacons, took it upon themselves to assist the sick and dying. And Dionysius wrote in an Easter letter around 260, he says, most of our brothers, brother Christians, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy. Now, when he's saying this, he's just he's referring to people who are Christians who went and served people dying in the streets that were left by their families and stuck in buildings and houses to die together. And they were given up on for any hope of life. And these Christians came and walked along with them and had their head in their lap saying, it's, you know, just praying over them, singing over them. These are the Christians that rushed to danger and rushed to risk their lives. His statement in the context of what he was saying isn't they died serenely happy of old age. They died serenely happy, giving the joy of the Lord to those who were dying themselves. They put themselves in harm's way. They inconvenienced themselves even to the point of death. And how did they die? Serenely happy. How weird and morbid is that? especially when you think of it according to the, what the world defines happiness and joy as. But here it is. He is an eyewitness that he saw them happy and joyful because they gave their lives for someone else, fulfilling the mission God gave them. What makes you serenely happy? What fills you with great joy? So we can conclude with this, maybe this question, how do we cultivate the joy of Christ in our life? That same kind of joy that he experienced even as he went to the cross? You know, we all long for that kind of indestructible joy. Uh, Tolkien, the author of the epic trilogy, Lord of the Rings, in his essay on fairy stories, he says that every good story is a reflection of the gospel story. All good stories have some kind of catastrophe that gets to a point where it seems like the protagonist has no way out, where all hope is lost, and it's all going to end in tragedy. But then there's this great turn of events, right? Where the hero is saved, his enemies are conquered, and they all live what? Happily ever after, right? I, I honestly don't like those movies, but most of you do. And the reality is this. We're all kind of looking for that joy, looking for the conqueror, looking for uh, somebody to make things right. And Tolkien, he even came up with his own word for this type of story. He calls it a eucatastrophe. EU is a Greek prefix, which means good. 
So a eucatastrophe is a catastrophe that turns to good in the end. And Tolkien says that the stories we love most are eucatastrophes. It's true because we're all longing for redemption. In this world of sorrow, we are longing for indestructible joy in the end. And Tolkien says the only difference between those stories that we love and the gospel is that the gospel is the eucatastrophe that came true. It's real life. It's the eucatastrophe that came true. See, the Christmas story, Christ incarnate, the life, the death, and resurrection of Christ is the eucatastrophe of human history. The great story that wasn't just fiction, but it came true. And Jesus says to you and me today, as he said to his disciples in John 16, 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. God, we come before you thankful. We're thankful that no one can steal our joy. No circumstance can steal our joy. No difficulty can steal our joy. Lord, You've given us a joy that goes beyond imagination and the joy that's found in the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that may not know you right now, may never experience that joy, that unending joy. Lord, I pray that they will know even now, whether they're watching at home or in this room, that they can know you as their savior right now where they sit. That they can trust in the sacrifice of the king who gave his life out of love for them. If you're that person in this room right now or at home, just take the time to trust in Jesus, to lay it on the line and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've trusted in you as my savior. I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. And maybe for the rest of us in this room or at home, maybe for us, we need to confess. Use this time as we sing one last song to have it be a time of confession where we've been trying to find joy and happiness in so many things the world has to offer and not getting into the deep recesses of the true joy that God brings. Convict us now. God, convict us of our need to not only experience true joy from you but to actually express the joy to others so our community is different. Our homes are different. Our schools are different. We praise you for this opportunity to be part of this great story. We thank you that we get to sing as we conclude this time together. In your name we pray, amen.